This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and gather, O people of God. Let us gather at the house of the Lord. We await the word. Who will lead all nations? We await the one who will guide us in peace. Let us in peace kindle the light of the Lord. And now let us stand as we are able and join in our opening hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, verses 1, 2, and 6. Thank you. the coming of the Christ child and what it means to have Emmanuel, God with us, present in our lives in new and transformative ways. Almighty Lord, as we look around the world, we see moments within our own lives, within our own communities, and throughout the world that are calling out for your peace and justice to roll down. Be with us, that you calm our hearts, you still our lives, long enough that we might find a peace that only comes from you. Lord, we lift up the prayers of those around us, giving celebration this day for love that has carried on throughout the test of time. Lord, these prayers and so many others fill our hearts, fill our lives, fill our worries and concerns these days. We present them to you 
and ask that you might be present to each and every one of us, that we might experience what you need from us as your light is made known. At the places in our lives where we are struggling and looking for comfort, offer us the healing that we need so our lives might reflect your love to others. In those places where we have confusion, illuminate the path in front of us so that we might follow your wisdom to know how we might proceed and follow your will so that we might be your ambassadors of peace. And Lord, as much as this world and our society tells us that we must do more, be more, and be perfect in this holiday season, allow us to let go of that, sh that attempt at perfection so that we might be present to the coming of your Son in our lives. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our wills, that we might see the ways in which your spirit continues to touch us this day as your son touched the world so many years ago. In your name we pray. Amen.
Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 33. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. This is God's word to God's people. scripture this morning is a disconcerting scripture if you uh, look at it closely. It was written in the memory of what Jesus said about his second coming, <clears throat> that the early church understood to mean that it would be happening um, with a great commotion within their lifetime. 
as we all know, and unless we want to think of Pentecost as that second coming, we are still awaiting uh, Christ Jesus's parousia, is the word for that, his second coming. So these scriptures are used on the first Sunday of Advent to remind us that we have been a people who are anticipating and waiting for the consummation of what God started in Christ Jesus. And though we may not think that it will occur, as this scripture says it might, I'm, I'm one that hopes for a little happier consummation rather than Armageddon. We are still people who look towards that moment when all will be put to rights. And we come to our Christmas celebration each year being reminded of this anticipation and waiting by using this scripture to put ourselves in the right perspective and to help us to realize that though that full second coming has not occurred yet because of this delayed parousia, we have the opportunity in each Christmas celebration to draw closer to Christ and to find Jesus born again, somehow, in our lives. And so we start with four Sundays in Advent to lead up to Christmas to get us wound up, <clears throat> to get us cracked open so that we might welcome anew the Lord into our lives. So, what do you do to get ready for Christmas? I know that as each year has gone by in our house, we've tried to make it better and better. And I'm making fun of us a little bit by saying that because in a, in a way, there's no perfect Christmas. And you can't make it perfect. And by the better and better that you try to make of it with the trappings of Christmas, you sometimes run into problems with fuzzing over, confusing the center core of the experience. I can remember back in the day when uh, you had a tree in the house and that was it. And then over some decades, the tree became decorations in other rooms. And then those decorations started to be outside. And now there's movable ornaments that are going like this and lights are flashing and it's just, it's, it's gone crazy. It's gone crazy. We used to just uh, shower up and wear your best outfit for Christmas. And, and now, you know, now families are all dressing alike. I, I've, I've seen it advertised. Well, I saw it in La Jolla. Mom and dad and the two kids, and they all had the same outfit on, age appropriate, just to, so that they would be festive. I, I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you all do that. I don't know. It, it <laughs> struck me as a little much. Just, just a little much. You try to get the most special gift that you can. I mean, you were satisfied back in the day with one gift to one person, and it was a way of expressing your love. You know, you didn't have to spend a thousand on each other. Um, but things have changed, right? So that now um, some families are actually feeling kind of worried about not being able to have enough to give so that their children in the playground when they go back to school are not embarrassed. Something's a little off by that. But I will say, I will tell Tori on myself, that Debbie and I did fall into that a bit as we were raising our children. So if you're a young mom or dad, don't think I'm just uh, poking fun at you with worrying about that. We worried about that too. Enough so that Thundercats was a, a really big TV show when our kids were young. And so we not only had Thundercat toys, but we knew to make their Christmas the best we were going to get the Thundercat Lair. <laughs> so Debbie got and bought it, brought it home, put it off into a side room. I came home from the 11 o'clock late night service, so I'm, I'm getting home like around 1. Chip, here, put this together. <laughs> Three hours. 
three hours. Modest assembly required. Three hours. So I, I know how it happens, and, and we want to support and please our kids, but there's something to be concerned about with that also that we need to think about. I like the fact that some people even add on top of their normal lives and the busyness of Christmas coming to church. I'm not one of those pastors that pokes fun of the Christmas Easter crowd. I'm glad they come. I'm glad they come. Because there's, there's something, something moving inside still in there. The spirit's rumbling. They, they can't quite get it together to come on a regular basis. But they, they just feel like they need to show up. So I think God is working and... I celebrate that, and I'm glad they come. I hear we get about twice our normal Sunday crowd on Christmas Eve. I look forward to the, the, the fun of lots of souls being together to try to experience uh, the feeling of the birth of the Christ again. Mike Slaughter writes, In our attempt to create the magical Christmas experience, we run ourselves into the ground emotionally, physically, financially, and relationally. Then after weeks of pressure and preparation, all for the purpose of creating the one perfect day in the imperfect year, someone's upset because they didn't get what they wanted, a toy is already broken five minutes after being opened, grandpa drank too much, dad called grandma a name, It seems that we can make Christmas too much about us and our experience when it really is about God and God's outreach to us through Christ. It is Jesus' birthday, after all, that we're celebrating. And since Christmas is really about Jesus' birth, I want to invite you to uh, imagine along with me as I uh, think out loud a little bit about that first Christmas. And I would like to suggest to you that that first Christmas was a mess. It wasn't perfect. It was far from perfect. Actually, it was very very messy. A teenage pregnancy. Well, that's kind of messy nowadays. Back in those days, you could be killed for it. Mary is 12, 14 years old from a backwater town in the mountains of Galilee. Betrothed, but not married, a virgin, though now pregnant, and probably not too theologically sophisticated to make sense out of the vision that she has. How do you suppose, how do you suppose the explanation went with mom and dad? The Holy Spirit did it, mom. Having been a parent, I've heard some lame excuses. And you wonder, did Anne and her husband, how did they treat this news that their 12-year-old was pregnant by the Holy Spirit? We don't know much about Mary's parents. I mean, there is a church, St. Anne's Church, down in the old city of Jerusalem, and there's you know, traditions about them being supportive, but we really... Read your scriptures again. See if you can find much about Mary's parents. What we do know is that this 12-year-old was visiting relative Elizabeth for a number of months. So how does that happen? She didn't just decide to get in the Mustang and drive down to... <laughs> right? 
this 12-year-old was sent there by mom and dad, right? So maybe we have a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on in Nazareth with Mary being pregnant, yet not married. She's sent away. We know that Joseph struggled with this pregnancy. We're told that he has a vision that says, don't put, her, don't put her down, don't put her away. Stay with her. Think about all of that. Really, what a mess. What a mess. And then she's nine months pregnant. And Joseph says, hey, we got to go down to Bethlehem and obey Caesar. Register on the scent. So she's on a donkey for what is, um, I'm saying, a three, four-day trip. Have any of you ridden donkey? <laughs> Those of you who have been pregnant, can you imagine riding a donkey in your ninth month? I can't see that happening. I can't just imagine that. What a mess that must have been. There must have been words said between Mary and Joseph. <laughs> I'm guessing that was a difficult journey, a difficult journey. And they get into town, and there's no place to go. Okay, so there are strangers in Bethlehem, basically, right? And they're getting in there fully ready at term, and there's no place for them to be. Imagine that conversation between Mary and Joseph. And they're able to get, a, what is it, a stable, a a barn, a cave, you know, when you go and you go to Bethlehem nowadays, a big cathedral over a cave in the ground. So the, the tradition in the church is, though we say stable, that, that Jesus was born in a cave on a hillside where animals were sheltered. Where there's animals, what comes along with that? <laughs> manure. And when there's manure, there's flies and... Ugh. That reminds me, when I, uh, when I was pastor of the Moore Park Church a couple decades ago, we had a, uh, a great, uh, though independent, board of trustees, and they, they would do things that needed to be done when it made sense for them to do it, or they were able to do it, I guess. So, so we had the fourth Sunday of Advent worship, and everything was just glorious, and then showed up Christmas Eve, and the place stunk. The trustees had decided to fertilize the lawns. <laughs> it was the right time of year, apparently, I was told. It was self-evident that they would do that. So they, you know, a big truck dumped a bunch of manure. They spread it all over the grass there in front of the church. So the walkway that you walked down to get into the church was bordered by manure. You can, if you've learned a little bit about me, you can imagine that my circuits are <laughs> frying with this happening. I'm thinking, wait, this is why one of the big public you know, things. Twice as many people as usual are going to be here tonight. We want to put on a good face and impression. We want to be welcoming. We don't want to smell like a latrine. <laughs> this isn't right. And then it dawned on me, no, this is perfect. <laughs> this is perfect. This is... This is how it was. This is perfect for getting a sense of the reality of Jesus' birth. It stunk, didn't it? It stunk. And then, to add to Mary's mess, sometime after Jesus is born, you know, scholars are thinking this is somewhere within a two-year time because scripture talks about all the boy babies to and under being slaughtered by Herod. So somehow, in that early time, Mary gets word of the threat to Jesus. They don't feel they can go back to Nazareth, maybe because of all the mess in Nazareth of her being pregnant. I might have been tempted to go to mom and dad, right? No, they didn't. They went down to a foreign country. They fled into Egypt. 
So now again, those of you with babies or remember those days, you got a toddler, you're back on the donkey, and you're headed to Egypt. You got a hundred mile or so trip now to Egypt. You're going to a place where you have no relatives. Maybe there's some fellow Jews there that will welcome you, but basically it's a strange culture, strange people. That's what's happening. What a mess. What a mess. The birth of Jesus wasn't the cute little nativity scene, perfect thing. The birth of Jesus was really an actual mess. And there is, I think, a good chance we have lost sight of that truth as we've over-sentimentalized the birth of our Lord. As we do this, we run the danger of expecting this amazing, this, this awesome experience that was Christmas to be found in our efforts of making it perfectly appointed, where there's no mess. There was mess then. And I think if we're willing to accept that, we will catch the real power of what Christmas is about. God comes in the messy. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to make everything great. God comes in the messy and helps clean it up. God comes into the messiness of real, real life. Common and everyday life. Life with mistakes and problems. Life with overreaching and underachieving. Life with aches and pains and impossible to make work. God comes when we feel that things have fallen apart and are spinning out of control. God comes to us as God came to Mary and tells us we are favored, we are beloved. God comes to our side, God indwells and God walks our path with us. God among us, God with us. This is the promise of Emmanuel. The truth of that is the amazing that we are awaiting in Advent. That that might be true for us this year in some kind of special way. God would come again and would find in us a welcoming spirit and an open heart. That even though our lives are really messy in one way or another, God would come to us and walk with us, be with us. I think what Mary went through is really amazing. Amid her drama that I've tried to convey this morning, amid all of that, she heard a promise from God that all would be well, that it would work out somehow. And she said, okay. God will work a wonder, something amazing through you, Mary. Okay. God will be in partnership with you on this throughout the whole course of this, beyond what you can even see happening yet. 
okay. You will be blessed in the believing of my promises. So she says, okay, here I am. Use me. How hard it must have been, though, in the reality of those experiences for Mary to believe what she thought she heard. Yet she did. Now, over the years, you all have heard a lot of stuff from people like me. You've read a lot of scripture over your years. A lot of stuff in there. Lots of stuff about God's love for you. Lots of stuff in there about God not abandoning you. Though your circumstance seems hard, though your road seems rocky, that God goes with you. Lots of stuff in there about how when it looks like you're walking through the shadow of death, you are not alone. And indeed, in the experiencing of that extremis, you will find redemption. You've heard a lot of promises. We come back to Christmas being ready for it, being reminded of one who has shown us a way of believing in the promises of God. And I think that's why we honor Mary like we do. Because she heard God and she responded to God in faith. Trusting that what God said, what God promised, God would do. May that be said about all of us too. Amen. We rejoice in the fact that we have a God who is present to us in the midst of all of our own personal messiness and all of the messiness of the world. So we respond with gratitude by presenting our tithes, gifts, and offerings to God.
present to us in the midst of the chaos and the turmoil in our lives. You say, I love you. And for that, we give thanks. Use these gifts to let others know of the greatness of your grace. Amen. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Awesome Father, in this season when we celebrate the coming of your Son, our Lord Christ Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. You created all things and called them good. You made us in your own image. And even though we rebelled against your love, you did not desert us. You delivered us from captivity and made a covenant to be our sovereign God. Holy is your name and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to be the light to the nations. You scatter the proud in the imagination of their hearts and have mercy on those who fear you from generation to generation. You put down the mighty from their thrones and exalt those of low degree. You fill the hungry with good things and the exploitive you send away empty. Your own son came among us to be a servant, to be Emmanuel, your presence with us. He humbled himself in obedience to your will and freely accepted death on a cross. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, offered you thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this as often as you would eat it. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, and offered it to all of his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup we may know the presence of the living Christ. Through him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen.
And now, with the confidence of the children of God, let us join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, draw near and uh, grab a hand as we receive our uh, verbal and then our choral benediction. God's love is upon you in a special way this season. Rejoice in it and let it flow through your lives and your words and your actions so that others may know the power of God's love. Amen. Amen. Amen.